You want to take it from the top? Yeah, let's try it. Okay. He will rock you. He repeat that again feel 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 my heat feel my heat yeah it's definitely cool oh music and murder contains violence oh. profanity oh and graphic material that may not be suitable for children oh. or people with weak stomachs oh. parental advisory is definitely recommended so how was your vacation away from the show? I trust that all of you survived and thrived. But I hope you at least thought a little bit about me. Because I definitely thought about you. I mean, not as much as I thought about guns, guitars, sex, money, and school, but y'all definitely did cross my mind. And I feel really bad about not having the time to get more episodes out faster. However, I am a lot more into quality, not quantity. In other words, I'd rather have one beautiful and smart woman than ten dumb hoes. You feel me? And by the way, that's exactly what I do. I love my girl, and my amazing monogamous relationship with her. So my name is Michael D. Keeney, and the Mike stands for money and the D stands for diamonds. A little Beastie Boys reference for all you youngsters. This is episode number six fucking teen of Music and Murder. And please feel free to leave a message and or follow me at music underscore murder underscore podcast and I will get back to you. You can also message me there as well. I'm always looking for good guests and good songs for the show. So again, message me if you're interested. This is the very first episode of Music and Murder where I'm diving into the cold, dark, murky world of children not only being murdered but children actually committing murder as well. And before you groan and say, oh no, it's an episode about a school shooting, I assure you that it most definitely is not. Nor does it have anything to do with school at all. It's just simply an episode about pure fucking evil. And even Slayer would feel guilty if they wrote a song about the story that I'm about to tell you. Just fucking with you. Slayer would write a song about consuming the rotting flesh of a mountain of dead babies because they're Slayer, right? Hmm. Now before we begin, I'd like to welcome all of my brand new listeners and followers, both on IG and my podcast subscription. They have uh, both soared a bit, and I appreciate it immensely. And now that I'm getting a little clout, if you can call it that, it's about time that I buy a big gold necklace and start smoking crack. Why, you ask? Cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> Seriously, though, I believe that this number increases because most people are tired of the same old, boring, watered-down bullshit 
that corporate platforms consider to be true crime podcasts, I sure as fuck know that I am. Now, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, and gentlemen that identify as Chevy trucks, and ladies that identify as unicorns, I bring you the ever-complicated and twisted case of the Bever family murders. And just one last final warning, children are brutally murdered in this episode. Now sit on back and let's roll, biatch. Broken Air 911. Broken Air 911. Hello? Hi, where are you at? Broken Air, Oklahoma, 7411. What address? 709 Magnolia Court. Okay. Are you the only one there? No. My brother's attacking my family. Your dad is attacking your family? No, my brother. Um, he has a nine days deal with me. Oh, can you see me and people down? Okay, who's attacking your family? What? Who's attacking your family? Yes. Who, who is it? Do they yes, have I'm over. I'm over. Are you there? Hello? Hi, what's going on there? What's going on there? Hello? July 22nd, 2015, around 11.30 p.m. It was a 75-degree warm, humid night in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Broken Arrow is the fourth largest city in the state of Oklahoma and the largest suburb of the Tulsa County metropolitan area. Now, Broken Arrow, which is in the northeastern part of Oklahoma, consists of a little over 100,000 people. And most of these people will likely judge you if you don't believe in their version of God. Meaning, yes, It is a major part of the Bible Belt that utilizes religion to control people that can't otherwise think for themselves. And no, I'm not bashing religion. I'm bashing people that profiteer, molest, rape, and control children and judge anyone that doesn't believe in the same brainwashed shit that they push on everybody. Now, I do believe in a creator. I am very spiritual, and I am very thankful for this world and this life. However, I just do not adhere to every word that has been translated from a historical, anonymously written book that was initially written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and then later translated into English which is a language that, for the most part, doesn't even possess words in the same defining manner. Thus, the Bible cannot manifest an ideology worthy of proper use in 2022, in my own personal opinion. And again, that's just my opinion. But okay, you get the point. Intelligent and 100% accurate rant over. 
moving on. So, on this warm, cozy night in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, teenagers 18-year-old Robert and 16-year-old Michael Bever were in the bedroom that they share, doning their battle armor that they received via Amazon earlier that week. You see, Robert and Michael were literally gearing up for a bloody and violent battle. The two have been planning and organizing this particular battle for at least six months. This wasn't any ordinary battle though. Not a battle that would be waged against an enemy or foe. No, this battle would be waged against the only people in the world that actually loved them, raised them, supported them, and cared about them. Now this battle that they were fiercely gearing up for would be carried out against their three younger siblings, their mother and their father as well. The intention for this battle would be for Robert and Michael Bever to successfully carry out an act of familicide. For any of you out there that are lucky enough to have been brought up normally, to where you are unfamiliar with the term or definition of the word familicide, it basically means the act of killing off your entire immediate family. As brutal, forbidden, evil, and unspeakable as this may sound, it has happened quite a lot. And it has been around, basically, since human beings have walked the earth. Now usually, especially in the past, familicide was only employed when the one committing this heinous act was seeking revenge, power, status, sex, religion, or of course, good old money. But to Robert and Michael Bever, the only motive in this act of familicide was literally just to commit the act itself. Now in 2015, when this act of senseless familicide took place, the Bever family was very well known in this all-around average suburban community. The Bevers consisted of 54-year-old David Bever, who was the father, and he worked in the tech business, which enabled his wife April to not have to work. David and his wife April, who was 45, were deeply religious, kind of like what I was talking about earlier. The two had a total of seven children, and neighbors claim that they never, ever really saw any of the children, and that even though they were homeschooled and two of them were old enough to drive, they still never really left the house. And the blinds in this house were always shut. Always shut. This isolation from the world could have definitely played a huge part in the manifestation of the gruesome details that came about on July 22, 2013. April and David's seven children ranged in ages from 18 all the way down to just two years old. And she was a baby girl 
named Autumn. The second oldest was Autumn's older sister, Victoria, who was just barely five years old. Next was Christopher, who was barely a year older than Victoria and just six years old. The next child in age range was 12-year-old Daniel. And Daniel was the poor kid that you heard on the 911 call in the beginning of the show. Daniel's death was basically caught on the 911 call. His 16-year-old brother Michael grabbed the phone out of his hand and smashed it, while 18-year-old Robert ran into the room and stabbed him several times, which we will get into further after this song by yours truly. Now, this is literally a brand new song that just came out at Rabbit Hole Studios in Fresno, California, and it is called So Many Reasons. Now, the unique thing about this song is that it was recorded literally 100% live, which I've done in the past, but only in like a nightclub setting with a crowd, and you can easily tell it was live. The song was recorded with me playing and singing the entire song in one take, which makes it not only difficult to pull off because of the fact that you can't make any horrible mistakes because if you do, you're forced to start over, but also because you're sitting in a room surrounded by multiple extremely sensitive mics that are very unforgiving if you decide to move at all or breathe for that matter thus most musicians opt out of recording in this manner and they lay down their tracks separately and then add the vocal tracks at the end which allows you to fix everything i just wanted to try this because you can't get better emotion and feelings when you record a song other than doing it live this song is titled so many reasons and I wrote the song about how difficult it is to stay in a relationship with someone that you genuinely love, but just can't seem to make the relationship work. Sometimes people may really love each other, but are unable to work out the differences. Yet, they try. Again, this is Michael D. Keeney, me, with a live studio version of so many reasons and if you like it please feel free to look it up on anything and stream or purchase and share it be right back
what a beautiful can. Cause I you hear that singer? That's me, motherfucker. You hear those goddamn songs about taggers and meth? I wrote all those by myself with my taggers while I was on meth. You hear that guitar that's playing? That's me, motherfucker. Just because I ain't ever played a single song in front of anyone in my life and nobody's ever heard me fucking write or sing whatsoever, those vocals that are on that motherfucking record are mine. I don't give a fuck if they don't sound like me, it's fucking me. The only thing that matters is that I'm on the cover of that album with a guitar and a motherfucking cowboy hat on, motherfucker. Now go buy my album featuring only me and listen to it and you'll hear me on meth and my tigers and my songs that I wrote all by myself. I've never done a show or sang a song in front of anyone in my entire life but that's just still me, motherfucker. And it's a lot better than that Carol fucking Baskins record that's called I Killed My Motherfucking Husband and Fed Him to a Bunch of Fucking Taggers. And again, I am running for president in 2024, and I will win, and I will run the country from this here motherfucking Oklahoma prison. Along with these two fucking psychopath kids that you're doing the stupid fucking show on because they're in the same goddamn prison as me. So vote for me and go fuck yourself and you bunch of Carol Baskin loving motherfuckers, fuck you too. My name is Joe motherfucking Exotic and you can all suck my big fat pierced fucking cock. And if you're good looking, I'll suck yours right back. It's called a reach around motherfucker. Now go fuck yourself. Again, that was me, Michael D. Keeney, with a live studio recording of my new single, So Many Reasons. And it is available on every streaming platform, including Pandora. So if you liked it at all, Please feel free to spend the $1.29 to purchase it and help me buy more strippers and blow or whatever. Okay, back to our after-school special. So we left off with 12-year-old Daniel Bever making a frantic yet quiet 911 call where he attempted to explain that his family was being brutally murdered. However, before he could actually tell the 911 operator who was killing his family, he gets cut off and the phone gets smashed. When Daniel was making this call, he was hiding in his bedroom at the time. Daniel's older brother, 16-year-old Michael, was trying to get in and pleading with Daniel to open the door and let him in because Robert, their oldest brother, was allegedly trying to kill him. I know this sounds confusing, but that is how it happened. You see, Robert and Michael had the sinister plan set in place for a very long time, and during the planning, the two brothers agreed that after they killed their parents, Michael would knock on all of their younger siblings' doors and say that it was all Robert and plead for them all to open their doors one by one to help save Michael's life, thus allowing Michael and Robert to enter the room and kill them. You want to talk about manipulation, deceit, 
and betrayal? Does it really get any worse than talking your younger siblings into opening up their bedroom doors to try and save your life so you can brutally slay them? I honestly really don't think so. I don't even think Jeffrey Dahmer himself would have been capable of being that fucked up to a blood relative. It really just blows my mind to ponder how anyone could be that evil to their own flesh and blood. And just wait, trust me, this story gets even more perverse as we go. Robert stated that he wanted him and his brother Michael to be the first serial mass murderers in the US. And I've honestly never heard of that before. And I hope I never hear it about it again. However, he is correct in the fact that there's never factually been a national serial mass murderer. You can tell by the articulate manner in which Robert speaks and in the way that he explains these fantasies that he was and is decently intelligent and he pretty much loved himself in a very douchey way, hated his family, and all around seemed to manifest a general hatred towards mankind itself. Perhaps his living conditions at home were so horrible that he thought anything would be better than living like that. He even claims in the prison interview at the end of this episode that I'm going to play for you, which I, I think is a pretty good episode. You should definitely take the time to listen to it. It is uh, with Robert. I believe that it was just like a year ago. Um, so what would that be? Seven, eight years after these murders? Now, in the grand scheme of things, his family was just unfortunate to be there at the time that he snapped and tried to begin his reign of terror by becoming the first serial mass murderer. Now, just a quick disclaimer to any of you fucking weirdos out there listening that are thinking that maybe you could become the first serial mass murderer. It's not that simple to go and shoot up a place, kill a bunch of people, and then drive to another location a few hours, a few days later, and continue, continue on with the same motive and operation or modus operandi as we say you will almost with certainty be caught and very likely killed if not by the police by a good samaritan wielding a 44 or a 9 millimeter or a 357 just in case some asshole decides to come along and try their hand at becoming the first person in the united states to be a serial mass murderer People are fed the fuck up with shooters that kill innocent people. All my friends carry, and you start shooting anyone in front of them, they're going to make your head explode. And there's not a jury in this nation that would convict them. In fact, they'd probably get a key to the city or a medal of sorts. People are sick and fucking tired of people like Robert Bever. Life sucks for all of us. Each and every one of us struggle and hate society sometimes. But if you really want to end it, just fucking kill yourself. Don't go kill a bunch of innocent people. You're not going to be remembered as a hero to anyone. Just a fucking worthless coward that was too scared, like a little bitch that couldn't even have the balls big enough to stay alive. 
as well as such a bitch that you want to kill innocent women and children. Nobody will respect you. Nobody will respect you. You want to be a badass? Win the game of life and be happy and take care of those that take care of you and love your family. Okay, ran over. Second rant, actually. The only good thing to come out of this whole story was the then baby girl Autumn, who was two, and her 13-year-old sister Crystal both survived. That's right. Through all of this, those two young ladies survived this stuff. Now, when police arrived, there was a blood splatter all along the walkway to the front door, and police could hear a young female voice screaming out, help. The front door was locked, so the police had to kick it in. Upon entering the residence, they encountered a young 13-year-old girl lying in a puddle of her own blood. Her throat had been slashed, and though police didn't know this right away, the girl had been stabbed multiple times in her arms, stomach, and chest. Furthermore, from the view of the officers present at the, present at the scene, all they could see in the house was red. It was as if someone had just threw red paint all over everything from the walls to the furniture to the floors. I'm not sure if any of you know what a scene like this smells like, but the metallic smell of blood in the air in this quantity and capacity is just so metallic and putrid. It makes it uncomfortable to breathe, to be there. Unless, of course, you're one of the few that actually like that smell. Now, as the police made their way through the bloody mess that used to be a happy home full of a family that seemed to be happy and love one another, they encountered two more bodies. They encountered the 44-year-old body of April Bever, who was the mother of all seven children who resided there at the residence on 709 Magnolia Court. Unlike young Crystal Bever, though, April had been beaten with various objects over 48 times all over her entire body, including her head, neck, torso, arms, and hands. This poor woman was literally beaten more severely than I've ever discussed being beaten on this show. Just purely evil rage. Her young 12-year-old son Daniel, who by the way was the boy that actually made the initial 911 call that got the police there in the first place, was stabbed 21 times in his back, shoulder, and chest. This overkill was inflicted on Daniel why he literally watched his mother taking her dying breath. Her hand was reaching out for Daniel as she died. She was found that way with her hand reaching out to her son that had just been stabbed 21 times probably while she was conscious. She was definitely alive when it happened but we do not know if she actually saw it, but I can only imagine that she probably did. Which means that the mother and son basically watched each other die. The father, 52-year-old David Bever, was just a few feet away from April and Daniel, covered in his own blood, 
David was stabbed and beaten the most out of anyone else in the household. David had been stabbed at least 28 times. These stab wounds were literally riddled all over his face, torso, neck, arms, chest, and hands. This man was basically just a bloody mess. Moving up the hallway to the left, where the first bathroom was in the house, police discovered young six-year-old Christopher's lifeless body. Christopher had been stabbed a total of 21 times. This young boy was stabbed all over his back, chest, shoulder, and legs, and right next to Christopher lay dead his five-year-old baby sister, Victoria, who was stabbed 23 times on both sides of her neck, chest, back, and upper arms. If you're a sleuth and looking for a bit of a pattern, here's some key things to consider, all of which are just things that I noticed and could mean nothing, but nevertheless, I noticed them. All of the, all of the siblings were viciously stabbed in the back, which means that they literally were all running away during the initial stab wounds. Next, the father was stabbed first, as I mentioned, but yet still received the most stab wounds, likely out of hatred and rage from the two brothers. And finally, the mother was the only one that was beaten instead of stabbed, and not only beaten, but beaten severely 48 fucking times, which indicates to me that there was a type of deep, deep hatred for their mother. You go out and grab something, and you hit it. You hit that object 48 times, and see if it doesn't seem like a huge overkill, and see if you're out of breath. April wasn't just murdered. She was bludgeoned to death by two teenagers out of hatred and anger. It seems that others were likely collateral damage that didn't mean a lot to these two sociopath bloodthirsty brothers. And with that, we really need a nice little song because I need a break from talking about this shit. I've never discussed a little girl being stabbed 23 fucking times and let me tell you, it's not easy. This is a song by my favorite composer, Max Richter, who you've heard songs from on many HBO shows, movies, etc. This is my favorite song for Max and I think it fits the scene and the overall tone for this moment on this episode. It is called The Quality of Mercy. I really hope that you take the time to listen to it and hope that you like it. See you on the other side.
So again, that was composer Max Richter with his song titled Quality of Mercy. We left off with the Bever House at 709 Magnolia Court in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. The house was covered in blood and so far there was only one survivor, which was a 13-year-old girl named Crystal who was found alive but suffering from many life-threatening wounds including her throat being cut open or slashed either way they cut her throat so far not including crystal five of the bever family members were found basically slaughtered and strewn about the bottom floor of the three-story house now we get to my personal favorite part of the story as the police begin to slowly creep through the residence with their guns drawn and hands likely shaking, they encountered a small room full of stuffed animals. As they encountered the room and entered the room, they noticed a crib in the corner. As they approached the crib, they found something that was very, very unexpected. They found a little baby girl peacefully sleeping completely safe and unharmed the little girl was two-year-old autumn bever and it can be presumed that her older brother daniel saved her life you see the two brothers robert and michael had not only confessed that they were saving young autumn for their last kill but this plan was also found on a thumb drive that detailed exactly how the murders were to take place. If not for 12-year-old Daniel's 911 call that you heard in the beginning of this episode, they would have taken their time rather than being forced out of the house and fleeing the residence, thus killing this baby girl and possibly finishing off killing their other sister crystal however i still have some doubts on that one because the injuries that crystal sustained were awful they were definitely let's just say that she was very lucky to be alive and they did everything they could to kill her but the baby girl they did not have time to touch her thankfully now to my second favorite part of this story how these two little punk bitch cocksucking cowards were apprehended. They were hiding about 300 yards away from their house. They were hiding in the woods, which is where all of the neighborhood children used to play. Robert gave up and was amp- he was apprehended immediately. Michael, on the other hand, waited a little while, which gave the officers some time to release the canine that literally bit the shit out of him and drug him around like a little rag doll for a little bit. I'm sure the police officers were in no hurry to intervene after witnessing the crime scene that they had just left. Now the only surviving member of the Bever family that was able to talk was 13-year-old Crystal, obviously. Now Crystal claimed in a police interview that she went up to Robert Michael's room that the two brothers shared and asked them to do the dishes. She recalls seeing them finishing up putting on their body armor. 
with a whole plethora of knives laid out across their bed. She then heard Michael ask Robert, should we do it now? In which Robert replied, yes. Michael then instructed Crystal to check out a video that he had on his computer in which she complied. Now once she sat down at Michael's computer, Michael distracted her while Robert came up behind her and slit her throat. She ran out of the room, ran throughout the house, and ran through the front door, with the brothers chasing and stabbing her the entire time. She made it briefly through the front door and was caught and dragged back into the house where she was continued to be stabbed. This is where all of the blood in the front of the house derived from. The whole time, Crystal claims that she could hear her mother screaming at the brothers, which leads me to believe that April, Crystal's mom, was the first to be killed, followed by the father, David, then the six-year-old boy, Christopher, and then the five-year-old girl, Victoria. And lastly, the hero of the story, 12-year-old Daniel. Robert turned to Michael while they were handcuffed in front of the police car and said, It's been a pleasure. I am proud of what we done. Let me, let me say that one more time. When they were handcuffed in front of the police car, Robert turned to his brother, Michael, and said, it's been a pleasure. I'm proud of what we've done. He'll have a lot of time to be proud of what they've done because he eventually pleaded guilty to all counts and he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. His 16-year-old brother Michael, who in my mind was less malevolent, more of just a follower, decided to go to trial likely because his douchebag cocksucker lawyer wanted some free TV time. Michael's trial began on April 16, 2018, and on August 9, 2018, he was, of course, found guilty and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 200 fucking years. Why they even made that a possibility of parole, I have no idea, but I guess formalities are formalities. He better eat healthy and work out while he's in there being gang raped and sucking cock all the time to live that long so he can maybe get paroled. Who knows? Oklahoma prisons ain't no joke. They have an annual budget of about $200. Robert is currently housed in the Joseph Harp Correctional Center and Michael is in the Lexington Correctional Center. Both correctional centers are in Lexington, Oklahoma, where Joe Exotic is. Since their incarceration, Robert has claimed, as you'll hear in the interview that I'm getting ready to play, that he actually likes prison and is very happy to finally have his own room, which is obviously a cell, but hey, he can play make-believe all he wants. His brother Michael has already tried to kill himself multiple times. So we can 
We can honestly, like, say that Michael hasn't adapted the prison as well as Robert has. <sighs> yeah. Karma is real. I know a few people that make sure of that. Now for all you parents that are wondering if there were signs. There had been signs. A few months prior to the killings, they tried to talk Crystal, their sister that they almost killed, into participating in the murderous rampage with them. She immediately told her parents, and they just ignored it. Robert Bever had also written a book a year earlier called How to Shoot Up a School and Get Away With It, which was a detailed version of basically how to guide somebody to shoot up a school and obviously get away with it. Their house in Broken Arrow later burned to the ground, likely from intentional arson from somebody that just didn't want to fucking look at it anymore. And a park was built in its place. The park is a memorial for the members of the Bever family that were killed. The park is called the Broken Arrow Reflection Park and is full of life, happiness, and joy as of right now. Feel free to drop by and pay your respects if you're ever in the city of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. By the way, the two surviving young ladies, Crystal and Autumn, were both adopted by the same family. And although they haven't wanted to see their two brothers, Robert and Michael, they remain to be sisters. And they're part of a loving family that care the world about them just as they should be. And that wraps up episode number 16 of Music and Murder. If you take anything from this episode, take with you the fact that humans are capable of anything. Never underestimate the power of evil. The internet has provided humans with every tool necessary to be rotten, evil, piles of worthless shit. Whether it's fighting over politics and sports, or getting cheated on by your spouse because scandalous people won't quit DMing them and telling them how pretty they are, blah, 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 because they don't give a fuck. You're always just one bad day away from ending up on this show, or others just like it. Keep your circle small and never give up on people that are worth a fuck and never waste time on the ones that aren't. Life is short and loyalty traits in most people are shorter. Al Capone once said, I'd rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. Please leave a good review for the show, subscribe, share, and follow me on IG at music underscore murder underscore podcast. Till next time, always remember, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. Have a beautiful November a beautiful Thanksgiving, and smile. It pisses people off. And we all love to do that a little bit. Now as promised, here's that interview with Robert Bever from prison. Not sure who the guy is conducting the interview, and honestly I don't give a fuck, but the interview is worth listening to. And you get to hear about how Robert likes ICP and how he wrote a book about how to shoot up a school, etc. So I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you learn something. But first, but first, here's a cool little tune 
by backseat lovers called Close Your Eyes. My 15-year-old daughter, Sammy, who hates my podcast with a passion, recommended me to play it even though she doesn't like the podcast. And I do like the song. So here it go. And remember, there's an interview afterwards. Word to your mom. Do you want to be like your father? The older you get, your head's getting hotter. Pick up the phone when he calls you. You know he's alone. He's preaching cause he loves you Where have you been? Jack's been Oh, 
charges. Press 2. If you would like to permanent thank you for using Securus, you may start the conversation now. Hey, Hello? hey, you there? Hey, man, uh, they're working on the roof, and so earlier I tried to call you, and it said that I could only make a debit call. Yeah. And so it took the money off, and then I couldn't hear you. Yeah, you called a couple times, and I couldn't hear you. Yeah, that was, that was man, we never had any problems with GTL. This new phone system is retarded. Really? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Um, let's talk about your case. So you are in prison. How old are you right now, Robert? I'm 24. And how long have you been in prison? I've, I've including jail time, I've been in for almost six years now. And you have a life sentence with no parole, correct? Yeah, I have five lives without parole plus four lives with parole all running consecutive. We have breaking teen coverage this evening. One of the brothers accused of murdering his five family members in Broken Arrow will spend the rest of his life in prison. We start with Two Works For You reporter Darcy Jackson at the Tulsa County Courthouse with the decision. Darcy? Well, Brian, there's no chance that Robert Bever, the older of the two teens charged with the deaths of their family, will ever leave prison. Earlier this afternoon, Robert Bever entered a guilty plea during his arraignment. A statement to the court, he said he and his younger brother Michael acted together in the murder of his parents, and he was taking responsibility for those acts. His attorneys say he agreed to the conditions and was prepared to go into court today with this plea. Now, the agreement saves Bever from the death penalty. This is a tragedy of immeasurable dimensions. However, our client probably will have an easier life in the penitentiary than he had at home. I don't have any further comment than that. Now, District Attorney Steve Koonsweiler says he was prepared for a death penalty case, but after hearing the request of the surviving Bevers to put Robert in prison for life, he says the grueling effects of a death case were not necessary. The determining factor for me was I have a surviving teenage young girl and a toddler and those children deserve a lot and I am not going to saddle them with what I know the reality of a death penalty case to be. Now, Robert Bever still has 10 days to change his plea. His attorneys do not believe that will happen. His younger brother, Michael's attorneys, filed a motion to dismiss his charges today, but a judge did uphold a not guilty plea for him. More on what's next for him coming up at 6. In downtown, Darcy Jackson, two works for you. So the chances of you getting out, unless there's a miracle, you're probably not going to get out, right? Exactly, yeah. How do you deal with that? How do you, do you have to come to terms with that? Do you have to settle with that? Like this is, this is going to be your reality for the rest of your life? Well, I mean, I'm pretty good at adapting to situations. When I was younger, all I really wanted was one room that I could do everything in and live in all the time. And now I have it. So it's actually been really easy for me in prison. Uh, I just, I guess I spend a lot of time inside my head, and so I'm not really worried about it. But, you know, as far as punish, thinking of it as punishment, uh, I would have considered the death penalty punishment. I don't consider this punishment. I consider it a safety precaution, you know, because I'm not a functioning member of society. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm okay with it, though. I don't, 
I try not to think about it too much. There was this OG who died recently. He'd been in for 50 years, and he told me, just don't think about it. Otherwise, it'll drive you up the wall. Drive you crazy, right? Yeah. So I talk a lot about warning signs, and I, I'm really into trying to stop teen violence, and I talk a lot about the causes, the triggers, and the things. And you and I have chatted before, and you said there were some things that happened in your life that were warning signs, but your parents didn't take them serious. Uh, what were a couple right. of those incidents that happened, and what should have been well, a warning sign? I mean, when I was younger, I, I never looked up to the people who committed mass murders or serial killers or anything, but I kind of... I, I tried to write stories about them, and, and it was supposed to be from a point of view that these people are really fucked up and evil. But I was just, uh, I wrote a book called How to Shoot Up Your School and Get Away With It when I was like 13. Mm -hmm. And I showed it to my parents, and they were like, no, you need to get rid of this. This is, this is wrong. And they were concerned that the police would find me, and I'd get put on some kind of watch list. Mm -hmm. Uh I used to write songs and poetry that were really dark and talked about murder and stuff like that, killing people, killing myself. And uh, I went through a, I went through what I thought was an emo phase where I was studying myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I guess I should have, I didn't know that I wasn't doing it for the normal reasons a normal teenager would because I got a serrated blade. I would be sawing at my skin and apparently that's not normal. <laughs> so you are cutting yourself. You told me before you were a fan of ICP, that you were like a juggalo. You're writing stories yeah. about murder. You're writing stories about school shootings. These are all warning signs that I teach. None of this was taken serious, though. Well, they, they, nobody took it like it was serious, did they? I think that uh, this, this, is what, this is probably the worst part for me is uh, I think my parents knew what I, by the time they figured out I was buying body armor and stuff, mm -hmm. they were asking my brothers if I bought any guns. Mm -hmm. They tried to talk to me about it, but I'd get real hostile with them, and so I think they knew something was going to happen. I just don't think they thought it was going to be them. Did you ever threaten to kill anybody? Because that's a big warning sign. Did you ever say to your parents, I'm going to kill you? No. No, my parents would not have allowed that. Uh, okay. That, that would have, like... They, they would have made my life a living hell if I had done that. But when I was a later teenager, I had friends. Uh, if they were like being bullied or something, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd be like, look, man, you want me to kill this person? I wanted to really badly. I was serious. And wow. so there were, I wanted to, but not yeah, my that, that That's a warning sign as well. So on July 22nd, 2015, you and your brother, your younger brother, um, you, it, it seems like you guys had had a plan to maybe carry out a school shooting or a mass murder. Um, was that one of your fantasies before you did this crime? Were you thinking about being a school shooter or mass yeah. murder, breaking the Columbine record? Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah. Um, I, I was, uh, I was not really intending for my family to get killed at first and they just kind of became the first step in this really complicated plot that I was putting together on how I could kill as many people as possible and like set records and, mm -hmm. you know, just horrify people, horrify millions of people. 
And uh, I, my idea was uh, I was going to, like, pick restaurants and schools and movie theaters, go in, shoot it up, then get back in our family vehicle and drive away and become, like, a serial mass murderer. Because mm-hmm. I had never heard that before. So I, that's what I was trying to do. But that ne- why did you never do that? Like, why did you start with your family? Um, I have... I have I still have. I have a hard time dealing with uh, feelings of resentment towards my parents, mm-hmm. and uh, and so you know I had kind of a dysfunctional family, and uh, you know it just it it got to the point where my morals were so gone, and I was so twisted on this idea of killing people that I was like, I'm going to start right here, and. They're going to be the first ones. I'm going to find out what I'm made of, and I'm going to kill them. And so, you know, it wasn't even about the kids. They were just, and they were just innocent bystanders. I, you know, I couldn't stop myself once I had the bloodlust. Right. I'm looking at pictures of you and your brother. Um, one of you has darker hair. One has um, um, maybe some acne on. on yeah, a dirty blonde. Yeah. Who's who? I'm the one with the darker hair. You're the one with darker hair. Okay. I'm the one. Gotcha. I'm the one who's always smiling. Gotcha. You're smiling. Gotcha. And then there's some photos. Somebody has kind of long hair and glasses in prison. Is that you or your brother? Yeah, that's me. Got kind of long. They're really old. That photo is probably about two and a half years old. Yeah, longer hair. Okay. now. And then there were some pictures that came out of you guys, like. It might have, might have been like the arrest, like at the arrest, and it looked like maybe you get, maybe they tracked you down with canines or something. You looked like you had maybe mud on your face. Do you remember that? Uh, we were in, we were in the woods. Uh, yeah, that's I, what I'm saying. You were in the woods, right? Yeah, behind our house, and I was trying to get to. Can't remember which river it was. I think it was the Arkansas River. I was going to try to double back to uh to the road. But we never made it that far. I was too tired, so I just laid down, laid down in the in the dirt, okay. and fell asleep until the until the canines found us. And then when they when they found us, they stick the canine on my brother, and they pushed my face into the dirt. So I guess that's probably how it got on my face. So picture it. You're all the, always the one smiling. Yeah. Yeah. So who died uh, that day? Um. You know, I've I've heard stories that uh, maybe one of my brothers and maybe my mom had uh, survived for a little bit longer, mm-hmm. you know, into the next day. But by the morning of July 23rd, my parents, two of my brothers and my sister were dead. So David, 52, your father. April, 44, your mother. Daniel, 12, your brother. Christopher, 7, your brother. And Victoria, 5, your sister. Uh, Christopher wasn't seven. He was ten. He was ten. Okay, that's incorrect. And Crystal, yeah. your sister, was stabbed and her throat was cut and she survived. Yes. And then you had a two-year-old sister who you, you just... The story says you forgot about her, but I, I I think you decided to let her live, right? Yeah, I did. I was, uh, I was trying to figure out because I didn't expect to be caught. I was trying to figure out whether I should leave her with a neighbor, but then I didn't want them coming over to our house to see why she was there, if they recognized her. Gotcha. Something about leaving her at a police station. I just didn't know what to do. 
you thought you thought you'd initially get away with it but one of your siblings called the police from like a bathroom and that's why they were there yes and so, uh one of the things that they were trying to explain to me my brother's attorney was trying to explain to me was that uh he said it sounded like my brother saw me or something and ran away from the phone and i tried to say no that was the phone moving away from him but the more i think about it i think yeah uh Mm-hmm. I thank him and my brother Michael, Daniel and my brother Michael, had called the police and they were standing in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And when I came back into the house, uh, Michael was still standing there with the phone. My brother Daniel ran and hid. And uh, and when I started coming towards him, Michael threw the phone on the ground and smashed it to pieces. Mm. So your dad, your dad was stabbed 28 times, your mom 48 times. But it said your mom also was killed by blunt force trauma what does that mean was she beaten or just stabbed no no i don't just stabbed right i don't see how there, yeah i don't see how there could be any blunt force trauma. yeah that's what it says i'm I just mean, re, i'm reading a, like a just a report on the internet um mostly everybody was stabbed at least 20 times um did anybody talk to you during this robert were they any of your relatives saying, don't do this? Uh, were they screaming? Were they fighting back? What was the response of the victims? Yeah, they were. It was, it was, uh, there was a lot of screaming and a lot of begging for me to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you, you uh, said something about it when you're, when you're doing this. You know, when you see in the movies, if somebody gets stabbed, they fall down and die. In real life, it doesn't work like that, does it? No, it doesn't, and uh, that's that's when that's probably the worst part about it was that they didn't die right away, and uh, I I don't know how I continued once I started, but it, it was it was even scary for me, and all I wanted was for them to just stop screaming. That was the worst part. Yeah. Do you sometimes laying in your your bed at night? Do you sometimes think about that? I think about it when I'm awake. I think about it in my dreams. I think about it every. I think about them every single day. But I try not to think about what I did. I try to think about the good memories. Right. And then when I'm really punishing myself, I think about what kind of lives they could have led if I hadn't killed them. Mm-hmm. Are you remorseful for your crimes? Yes. There's this. Uh, there's this song that goes, "I have watched the world die. All I know now is regret." And that is so true for me. What is it like in the midst of stabbing someone? Um, do they do they go to the ground? Um, do you cut your hands? I mean, just explain that. Just what is what is that like? I don't. No, I, don't I don't really think that's important. Okay. Um, what would you like to say to the world now? I mean, you know, the media's got all these reports about you, whether they're true or not. But now you've had some time to reflect on this. You're, you're incarcerated. What would you like to say to the world, to parents, to troubled kids who are thinking about following you in your footsteps? What would you like to say to them? Right. Um, I got to prison and I was not aware that I was traumatized by what I did but apparently I was, and it took me a long time to realize why I was having so many troubles functioning and, you know, continuing with my life. I would not want anyone to have to deal with what, I, what I'm going through right now. It's 
reflect God's punishment for me, and there's no joy to it. There's nothing badass about it. It's really easy to kill someone. There's nothing great about it. But once they're dead, you have to deal with it for the rest of your life. Yeah, the consequences never go away. Consequences never go away. It stays on your conscience. And if you don't have a conscience, <clears throat> people are going to use you like they tried to use me to kill even more people. How, how could we have stopped you, Robert? What could we have done? What could have been done to stop all this? Like, what would have, would, should, your, should your parents have taken you to counseling? Should a friend have stepped up and, you know, what, what would have been helpful? There, there were so many things that could have stopped me. My parents could have sent me to a mental health facility. They could have called the police once I was too old for them to legally do anything but call the police. They should have. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be legal for anyone who doesn't have a job to buy 3,000 rounds of ammunition and three guns. It shouldn't be legal for someone to buy body armor off the internet in mass. Uh, if some if somebody on Facebook tells you that they're planning to kill someone, you should call the police. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I there were so many opportunities to stop me and no one did anything. But the worst part is, when you're in that kind of mindset, you're not entirely insane, and you can cover for yourself at least for a little while until you get tired of, until you get tired of the game and you just snap. Wow. And, yeah. and you bought guns and ammo. Why didn't you use guns in this this crime? I didn't have the guns. Uh, they were at the the uh, Broken Arrow Gun Shop. There's this guy named Pat who had been calling and asking about him. Okay. And uh, he said I could come pick him up the next day. And so that's what I, what I was going to do. The ammunition arrived the, that, the following morning after I was arrested. Mm. And the guns were waiting for me at the shop. Wow. So you decided not to wait for the ammunition and guns. Why is that? Like I said, I got tired of, I got tired of the facade, you know, trying to act like I was still living a normal life. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't even eat. I, I, that's, hold on. What? What is, no, I'm good. Um, so you're, you, uh, you were 18 and your brother was 16. Um, he has a life hey, sentence with parole, right? Sounds like he's dealing with someone in the prison. Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from Robert Ever. An inmate at Joseph Harp Correctional Facility. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. This call is not private. This call will be recorded and may be monitored. If this call is to an attorney, the attorney should hang up and dial 405-425-2515 to register this number as a private attorney number. The calling party should hang up and follow facility instructions to register this number as a private attorney number. To accept charges, press one to refuse our thank you for using securus you may start the conversation now hey hey man what's what was that all about uh it hung up on me did it really yeah did you hear what i was saying no say it again okay this is what i was saying yeah people can people who have never been in that situation which is pretty much everybody can say well you know, the 16-year-old, my brother, he should have stood up to me. He should have called the police. He should have tried to stop me. Mm -hmm. That's not something that you should have to expect of a 16-year-old who's never had any friends or anyone who loved him. 
mm-hmm. and he did the best he could, but he was torn between his allegiance for me and his family, and uh, I twisted his mind up, and ultimately he chose me, but he tried. He yeah. tried to be... He tried to be a good person. He tried to succeed at life. He tried to be a good brother. But, you you know, trying to say that it's his fault that it happened is, that's mm-hmm. asking, that's, that's putting too much on him. He's a good kid, and he didn't kill anyone. I, I think what they've done to him is wrong. So he wasn't involved in any of the crime? He was involved, but he didn't kill anyone. Okay. Just one who, yeah. I guess, I guess, um, he disabled the burglar alarm when it went off. Uh, there was some kind of a story that he did stab somebody. Is that that's not true then? No. Okay. He didn't even have his knives. Uh, he had he had one knife that I bought him. Uh, it was the same brand as all the other knives. Gotcha. And uh, and uh, uh, it was in our bedroom, and it was completely unused. Up until I I grabbed it mm-hmm. when I was grabbing the body armor and everything to run. Mm-hmm. And, so what, uh, what was what was his sentence, Robert? What did he get sentenced to? He got sentenced to five lives with parole plus twenty eight years, all running consecutive. When will his parole date be? His parole for the I don't know when his parole for the first life sentence would be. I guess in forty five years. But uh, they've pretty much ensured that he'll never get out of prison with the sentence the way he has it. Okay, the way it's set up, he's not gonna probably not going to get out. Yeah. Okay. So what is prison like for you today? What is it like? Do you, are you, do you work? Do you, do you, what do you do to pass the time? Do you get along with other inmates? Are you, do you have to fight? What's it like? Um, I'm on maximum security. The only time I got off of maximum security, I assaulted someone, so they put me back here. And I, I'm just, I'm very comfortable where I'm at. I write books. I got books I've published on Amazon, or in the process of publishing on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, I get along with pretty much everyone down here. You know, sometimes, sometimes there's just, you know, on maximum security, the tension is real high because there's nothing else to do but talk shit to someone. Mm-hmm. So. So, you know, we get into it every now and then, but I've actually never been in a real fight. Uh, I've I've had people who have threatened to kill me or rape me, but they've never done it. So I think I'm doing pretty good. And you have a girlfriend? Yes, I do. So you, I you love have, her very much. You have someone to talk yeah. to on a daily basis? I guess she. Uh, I guess she heard about me from uh, my family up in Illinois, mm-hmm. and she started writing to me. And okay. she's been with me all these years. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And you, you, um, you, you tried to kill yourself a couple times. Is that in the county jail or in prison? Um, I've tried to kill myself several times, and sometimes I've stopped myself. Sometimes fate has intervened, and I've been caught before I. I was dead, mm-hmm. but um, the two times that I got closest to killing myself was once while I was in jail and once while I was here, mm-hmm. and then one other time that I was here, uh, twice I tried to hang myself, the other time I uh, cut the crook of my elbow, I was bleeding out, mm. and uh, and so I just, you know, and so I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't go through with it though, so I, uh, so mm. I went and I got help. You tried to stab a corrections officer, right? 
It was a mental health clinician, and uh, uh, they were both civilians who worked in the prison. Okay. Wow. So you've had quite the interesting time so far in prison. Well, uh, you know, it's horrible that I have to learn the hard way, you know, what I'm going to do and who I'm going to do it for and who I'm going to do it to. Mm-hmm. I had sworn when I came to prison I was never going to stab anyone else, and I broke that promise to myself mainly, mm-hmm. and I feel really shitty about it. Did you stab someone or almost stab someone? I did stab one of them. Uh, the other person, uh, had, when I went to stab him, I wasn't able to follow through with it, so they didn't actually get stabbed. Mm. I'm sure it was traumatic for him, though. So you're in a pretty um, high, is it a high uh, secure prison? Um, it's not as secure as Oklahoma State Penitentiary, which is where I started out. Mm-hmm. I spent about a year there. Was that in McCall- McAllister, McAllister, Oklahoma? Yeah. Yeah. And they call that Supermax. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is just, it's like as much security as you can imagine. I have to get put in chains to walk to the shower. Yeah. I've been in that, I've been in that prison interview, a kid on death row back in the day and it's my very first. Uh, my very, it, uh, Sean Sellers, my very first interview. Sean that's Sellers. That's who was. Yeah, Sean yep. Sellers. Mm-hmm. That was a long time ago, but yeah, that was my uh, my first interview. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. McAllister. Mm-hmm. That was that was a bad story. Yeah. You know him and uh, him and Daniel Gonzalez, especially. I feel bad for those dudes. What would you say? Our last thing. What would you say to a kid who's thinking about shooting up his school? Or killing his family, if if they're listening to this right now, which he could easily be, or her, what would you say to them? Talk directly to them. He ain't no badass. There's nothing great about doing this. There's nothing that's going to solve any problems for you. There's nothing that's going to make your life feel more worthwhile. Once you've seen that evil people are just normal people too, then you realize how much of a challenge it is to be a good person and live a good, normal life and help people instead of killing them. And if you could go back, you would you would do this another way, wouldn't you? I could go back and kill myself before I had a chance to do that, I would. That's, that's how serious I am about it. Wow. Yeah. Well, Robert, we appreciate you taking the time today, and um, I'm sure you and I will be talking more and doing more things together, but um, maybe give me a call in the next couple days and... We appreciate you taking the time. You're going to be on the podcast and my YouTube channel. And, you know, maybe some of your words will help uh, somebody or a parent or uh, another kid who's listening. I hope so. Um, I haven't got your letter yet with the pictures. Okay. But uh, I wanted to to ask you if you could do something for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Could you send some money to my brother? Sure. Sure. Do me a favor. Call me. Um, call me like tomorrow or the next day. Just call me in the next couple days and we'll, we'll talk about everything. Okay, I appreciate it. Sound good? Yeah. All right, bud. Talk to you soon. All right. All right. All right. Bye. All right. <clears throat> Robert Bever.